You're listening to episode 237 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am your host, Kyle Daigle. This week, Brian uh, reached out to me and had a question for me, and we turned it into an entire episode. So I've talked about webhooks a little bit in the past. Today is going to be the one you download when you have questions about webhooks. <laughs> uh, I answered a ton of questions for him, um, all the tips and tricks, the places you get caught up, receiving, sending, uh, you name it. Uh, this is the one about webhooks. So if you're sick of hearing about webhooks, thanks for stopping by. But now's the time to click off. <laughs> but if you want to hear some more uh, and understand some of the things that you should do or look out for, whether you're sending him or receiving them, please stick around. Uh, uh, this was a good episode. It worked out really well. Uh, so thanks to Brian for asking me that question and uh, sticking around and, and asking me a bunch of questions about webhooks. Um, we'll be back again next week after the Halloween edition of this goes out. Um, so uh, come back with your questions. If you have anything else on Twitter, you can mention me at kdaigle on Twitter or uh, use that to find my email address as well. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored in part by HelloFresh. Uh, welcome, HelloFresh. It's great to have you. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step -step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. You can choose your delivery day so it works best with your busy schedule. You can pause it for weeks if you're out of town or on vacation. The cool thing is all ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits. So I've tried a bunch of these delivery services before and HelloFresh was kind enough to send out um, a meal kit for me. And it was so nice just to actually have everything in a little kit, um, a little brown bag all tied up with absolutely everything I need, nothing shared amongst them. Um, so it's really easy to know what ingredients go in what recipes and they're sent in a recyclable box, uh, which is really nice as well. Uh, HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. There's three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. Uh, we did the classic, which is a variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce. Um, there's also a veggie option for vegetarian recipes with plant-based proteins, grains, and seasonal produce. And family has quick and easy meals with all of the yum-worthy flavor uh, for the whole family. Um, so I've really loved this because... Um, the HelloFresh box was really, really simple. You're not going to spend all night in the kitchen because uh, the recipes actually only take 30 minutes, uh, not fake 30 minutes. Like actually, I opened up the ingredients, I chopped them up, and I was eating dinner 30 minutes later. There's lots of one-pot recipes as well. So the one I made was chili, and it was absolutely delicious. My wife said it was one of her uh, favorite recipes as well. And it was just one pot, very quick and easy to clean up. I used the bag for all the refuse from um, the recipe, so all the vegetable parts and everything go back in the bag that you got your ingredients in, which is really nice. Uh, and each week, there's a 20-minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have any time. Uh, it's a really great way to learn how to cook and enjoy cooking once again. Um, I've, I've loved it. I, I tried it out. Uh, I did a meal, and my wife did two meals while I was away. Uh, the meals are really good. They're balanced. They're not very high in calories. Um, and more, most importantly for me is they're delicious and fast. At the end of the day, I don't want to spend an hour chopping up all these crazy ingredients. I like real ingredients that are relatively simple and already packaged out for me. So I just have to do a little bit. And I don't have to peel a head of, lettuce, uh, a head of garlic every time I need some garlic for a recipe. 
For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code RAILS30. Again, go give HelloFresh a try. It's a meal delivery service that's simple, fast, and delicious. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code RAILS30 for $30 off your first week. Thank you so much to HelloFresh. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is also sponsored in part by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean just launched Spaces, a beautifully simple object storage service designed for developers who want a simple way to store and serve a vast amount of data such as web hosting assets, acting as an origin for CDNs, storing user-generated content such as images, cat images, large cat images, cat videos, large media files, archiving backups in the cloud, and storing logs. Important things, it's designed for developers, it's S3 compatible, you can name your space, tap create, and you're ready to go in seconds. But even more important than that, DigitalOcean wants it to be simple to use these products to develop great software. And to do that, they've removed a bunch of friction. You don't have to worry about a million different things for pricing, a bunch of calculators. Spaces is available for a simple $5 per month price, and that includes 250 gigabytes of storage and one terabyte of outbound bandwidth. That's a lot of cat gifs. There is no cost per request, and additional storage is priced at the lowest rate available, one cent per gigabyte transferred, and two cents per gigabyte stored uploads are free. Spaces provides cost savings of up to 10 times, along with predictable pricing and no surprises. To make it easy for you to try for both new and existing DigitalOcean customers, you can get started today with a free two-month trial of Spaces by going to do.co slash ruby. Thank you, DigitalOcean, for supporting the show. Finally, this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored in part by Rollbar. You build applications, you probably have bugs. I'm sorry, I'm just going to get that out of the way. I write bugs, you write bugs. How you track them is the important bit. Instead of relying on user errors or digging through log files, you can use Rollbar's error monitoring, where you get the full stack trace, context, and user data to help you find and fix impactful errors super fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, or automatically create new issues in Jira and Pivotal Tracker or Trello. You can use the Rollbar Ruby SDK as easy as gem install Rollbar, start tracking application errors in minutes. We have a special offer for listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Again, go try Rollbar, go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Now onto the show. So this, we had a storm like this weekend. Yeah, my parents lost power today. Yeah, we lost power too. Luckily, we we apparently, so I was ready to complain, but apparently a lot of people had power out for a longer time. But the reason I want to bring this up is um, I feel like my problem is a pretty good analogy for programming because I want a (laughs) generator now. But in order okay. to have a generator, you need to have a fuel source, and I don't have a fuel source that a generator likes. I use oh, oil. yeah. So now I need propane. So now I got two problems. You need a big propane tank in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's stinks. You need a big propane tank, um, and then I'm going to use that propane tank to power my generator. How long and, would and a grill? How, how how long would a five gallon grill propane tank last? <laughs> um, I've looked this up about five hours. Really? I think. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, what kind of power are we talking about that a generator is going to actually? Eleven thousand watts. I don't know what 
can you equate that into human terms or devices or <laughs> like uh, that'll power your watts. gaming PC for <laughs> for six so hours or twenty amps is roughly twenty thousand watts, I think. Twenty amps. That I don't. We're. I think we're in. We're in very muddy 2, waters. Watts? <laughs> <laughs> might be it's, off by an it's order. It's been of a long time since we did any <laughs> physics work. Anyway, you know what? Let's just stick to what we also don't know, and that's programming. <laughs> oh, hey, I never claimed to know programming, so that's all oh, on crap. you. All right. Well. All um, right. See you now next we week. Have two problems. <laughs> <laughs> no fuel source. Um, no, Speaking but of fuel. Yeah. Oh, I was going to let you segue. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We made a fire in our fireplace this week because it's starting to get cold here in North Dakota. It being October. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The it's starting to get very, very chilly. So, oh, my goodness. We're missing that. We're we're missing the most important part. This is the Ruby on Rails spooktacular (laughs) Halloween. episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We should have done some sort of theme like. I'll just, you know what? I'll just pepper in some like scary sound effects. Yeah, you know, you know what's really scary? Uh, what? Webhooks. <laughs> uh, great segue. Oh, so at work, goodness. we've been exploring the idea of using webhooks. And okay. I thought, hey, I know nothing about webhooks, but I know someone who does know more than nothing about webhooks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you, right? Yep, exactly. So I'm going to dive right in. First first step of advice. Oh, man. Don't use webhooks. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience or? Um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, so so we've talked about webhooks a fair bit on the podcast before, and it was kind of funny because Brian was, uh, you know, Brian pinged me and was like, hey, you know, what are we going to talk about? And we were coming up with ideas, and, yeah. and then Brian was like, oh, let's just chat about you, you know, know, I'm right hooks. here. You can say no, you. No, no, you're, you're gone now. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I, I think we're going to cover a couple things. And so this is a this might just become the canonical webhook episode for what it's worth. But oh, uh, that's quite a claim. You know, uh, three minutes one. in, that's a pretty big. That's a pretty big. <laughs> some right, pretty big shoes to fill. Twenty-seven minutes to screw it all up. Um, <laughs> so we we can see where this goes. But but basically, like. So a webhook in its simplest form is essentially just an HTTP post, right? Yeah. So like a form submission. Right. Um, and then depending on the service itself, it can get fancier than that. And so usually in any sort of financial service, um, a webhook isn't just a sort of fire and forget, meaning, you know, oops, maybe you'll get this. Maybe uh, something happened. You're, the webhook needs to know that it worked. Right, right. Or the maybe once uh, <laughs> system <laughs> definition. Um, and so with that, uh, the thing that the thing that's uh, a little tricky is that, you know, obviously if you lose webhooks, they just kind of go into the ether and that's not great. And so uh, most financial services like Stripe and PayPal and right. everything, they do like exponential back off. And I bring this up early in the conversation only in so much as to demonstrate that a system like this at scale ends up getting tricky, right? right? Because you have some, you you have a fair number of moving parts, and sure, you can just slap in a slap in a queuing library and, and, and hope that everything's good, and that's and that's totally feasible. But I want to call it out only because it's one of those things that ends up getting a little tricky if you pass enough events through it. If you don't pass enough events through it, you can be pretty, um, you know, you can be pretty, uh, 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 you know, full featured, I guess. So for say. like a like a uh, a 
a run-of-the-mill baby Rails app. Like, you're not going to probably run into a lot of these issues right away. Yeah, because in a run of the in the run in a run of the mills Rails app, uh, what you would probably just do is something very simple. You would have a background job. Um, you know, and we'll just assume it's like Sidekick or something like that. Sure. And then when an event happens, you would queue a um, a webhook, and that job would actually go out to the third-party server. You know, and deliver the webhook. And mm-hmm. so, um, there's kind of a couple of ways to do the queuing side, right? Um, what you don't really generally want to do is populate the entirety of the event in the web request. And so, to do that, you would normally say, um, "Click, click, you know, submit." Uh, the action takes place, and then you want to fire off a webhook, and then you would populate the entirety of that web of uh, that webhook event. And that might be a lot of data, depending. Um, so, my first little tip, tippity tip, tip of the day, the spooky, <laughs> spooky tip of the day, oh my is. God. Um, Keep your webhook payloads tiny. That's my advice. How um, tiny are we talking? Um, slim is how I like to describe <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> the only the essentials. Only the essentials. Only the stuff that you need that is specific to the event that have ha- that has happened and cannot be repopulated by calling an API. Oh, that's my opinion. Okay, so, so give them just what they need, and then they can backfill by making an actual call to the API if they need it. Yeah, and that's and, and to be clear, that is uh, optimizing for the sender, not the receiver, right? Like that right. is optimizing for the server, not the recipient. And so, sure. uh, for for things like chat apps and such and such, they really enjoy getting huge payloads because they can build the entire message without calling the API, right? right. Uh, but in my opinion, especially if this thing is ever going to hit some degree of scale, um, I, I would optimize at first, at vi- at the very first, for slim payloads because mm-hmm. if it's slim enough, you might already have all the information you need to populate the payload without making extra database requests inside of that initial submission. So you hit submit and then you have all the data and then you can just say background job and queue with this data and send this off to so-and-so. Um, so, so that's like, that's, that's like the simple way, but generally speaking, you end up getting to the point where your webhook payloads have more data than you have in the request. Um, and you need to populate it with some information. And so the background job can do that. Um, you can, uh, you know, you can have that job, go to the database, go to Elasticsearch, go to S3, go wherever it needs to go to populate the data it needs. And then it can send that off. Um, and usually you do that in the background job because it takes time and you don't want to add, you know, 50 milliseconds or a hundred milliseconds to every web request that is shooting off a payload. Um, now again, you may not care, but that is one of the trade-offs that you have to kind of think about. I, I care a little bit, but (laughs) (laughs) so what's a typical, uh, so webhooks are quite, uh, they're, they're around GitHub quite a bit, right? You guys use them for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what kind of, well, I mean, there's things that you shouldn't use webhooks for, right? How do you mean? Um, are there so like webhooks because of the fact that they're not really uh, immediate or t- like not necessarily immediate, I guess. Uh, you shouldn't necessarily use them for things that are like time sensitive or um, <clears throat> or when you're expecting like an immediate uh, response. Uh, like you wouldn't want to use webhooks for uh, like a like a sign up process or something like that, right? Because that would just be silly. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of just depends on your on your like business requirements because a webhook in and of itself isn't necessarily like a bad idea for workflows where you're holding someone, you know, like where you're saying, okay, hold on, I'm gonna go check on this thing. Okay, um, but you would, you know, it, it kind of depends because you can have a sort of ping pong situation, yeah, uh, which is what I've done previously, where you say, I am going to submit this webhook, and you're gonna tell me okay, but as part of the webhook, I'm gonna give you a URL to call once you're done, and when oh, you're done doing so the it's work like, that you want, <laughs> it's you, like a reverse webhook yeah, <laughs> like it's a, yeah a ping, oh that's kind of cool um, and so that way you that way you give the worker time to do its job because the one thing that you almost never want to do as a recipient of a webhook is do work in line. Right. You don't want to receive it, do your work, and say, "Yep, I'm done." Now that's so, not always true, especially in the billing world. You know, right. the billing world gonna, generally. Uh, <laughs> I'm ahead of you, my man. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say you said almost never, and I feel <laughs> like <almost> there's <laughs> never the billing world generally. You know, presupposes that a 200 response, a 200 okay response means, yep, okay, bill, bill that. Um, or sometimes you have to populate a, a payload to do that. But, um, but I mean, you know, generally yeah. you do everything out of band. Uh, and so that's kind of my recommendation. So ping pong is one way. You can also do a long held connection or more commonly, referred to colloquially as streaming, right? You 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 have someone just waiting and ho- holding a connection open to your server, and then you send things down. We've talked about that a fair bit with Brit uh, using something like Action Cable right. Pusher. You know, that's another option. If you have a few number of recipients, um, my recommendation would be potentially to do that, uh, but it, it, that has its own sort of right. You know, I was going to say, there are there, um, I'm, I mean, I don't know a ton about Action Cable. Um, are there like bigger infrastructure requirements for something like that, like where you need to support multiple open streams or does Action yeah, well, Cable the difference, kind of... Yeah, that's the, that's the tricky bit is because when you're doing anything with open connections like WebSockets or whatever is you're holding those connections open. So you can only accrue as many of them as your server you have, will yeah. allow, you know, like memory and CPU constraints. And so with webhooks, you control the flow. You are the, you know, you are the train conductor. You are saying when these things are going to go out. And sometimes there might be backups because there's right. more events than deliverers. Um, but it's different than a streaming process where you know you might have um uh, you kind of have two problems right you have to take these events and train conduct them to the right streams yeah then you have to hold the streams open and manage them uh so you you kind of trade one thing for another now to be fair though you can avoid the um stream management if you use a third-party service tool library etc um so if you use something like pusher or something like that that does the real-time management for you then you don't need to worry about it as much uh and so usually like instead of webhooks and stuff like that i usually just sort of move towards pusher um or or uh, you know a tool like it for smaller projects side projects or small businesses just because sure. you pay them you know 20 bucks 50 bucks whatever and then you don't have to deal with any of the downsides of webhooks um but but it you know it has its own trade-offs because you're, then you're managing the number of people that can listen to you at a time Sure, sure. So in the event of, um, I'm sure this has happened at, uh, at GitHub or, you know, other places, there's been a backup of webhooks or, you know, something has happened and all of a sudden the, the webhook queue is, is overrun. What's the solve for that? Is it just throwing more, you know, deliverers at the, at the problem until it's kind of, until it's resolved or is there a more so, elegant way of, let me, <laughs> of doing it? <laughs> let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me dive into all the ways that webhooks go wrong. Oh uh, yes, this is go. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first one I'll start with is you are making an outbound connection from your server, which is rare, right? 
Um, and so this is important right. because if you use any sort of custom or internal DNS settings, it's possible that your webhooks won't, you know, know where to go. Um, oh, so know. like if you have like tenanted or like subdomains or something like that. Well, it's more so like a server process, you know, that is okay. managing DNS for you. So, you know, at home you're using, you know, Google DNS or open DNS or whatever, but sure. on your server, it's likely that your, you know, your SRE team or operations team is set up, you know, DNS specific for you or for your, yeah. for your uh, app and your server cluster, et cetera. And so generally that um, at some point refers to the public internet, but you can get into trouble there where the DNS uh, blips or has problems and uh, and then suddenly you can't get to the outside internet. But normally when this happens, it doesn't really matter because you're only caring about your internal internet because most web servers do not talk out to the internet. They only talk into your internal network. So that's like one little catch uh, that you should look out for is make okay. sure you understand your DNS setup um, and then potentially uh, cluster off your webhook deliverers. So that way they're just, they're just talking to the public internet and are potentially in like an Amazon VPC or yep. something like that to keep them separate. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is understanding the pattern in which um, uh, you're you're getting calls to third parties. And so what I mean is you trigger an event and let's just say that event triggers 100 webhooks and they all go to the same exact host. You can imagine that at some <laughs> point that exterior host, that third party host is going to start slowing down and be in responding. Let's just say, right. that, you know, for whatever reason, there's too much traffic, their server's not set up correctly, so on and so forth. And so then your overall webhook processing needs is going to slow down as well, right? So instead of making, um, instead of doing it in one second, let's just say it takes 10 seconds for every single so, one. Exactly. Yeah. So now you're paying a tax of nine seconds on every single request sent to that URL. And so this is where quality of service comes in. You need to ensure that when you're sending webhooks to a single URL, that that URL's performance doesn't impact the overall performance of your infrastructure. So do you kind of treat that? And basically, if you're sending them to the same URL, you, you would do those in kind of its own little queue and wait on their own so that if the mm -hmm. first one to that server takes a long time, then you're using that same worker or deliverer or whatever. Again, so basically yeah, the I only mean, one who gets penalized is the one that's taking a long time. Yeah. I mean, again, it really depends on, um, it really depends on if, uh, like how many, how many exterior servers you intend to have. Sure. Right. Cause if your infrastructure is set up that it's a, it's a, like a finite number or a relatively small number, then yes, you can just have one queue per URL essentially, or something like that. Another option is you essentially just like hash the URLs so that, that you basically are saying, given a URL, I want to, I want to make sure that it is uh, deterministic what host it's running on, like what like server is pulling the job and sending the webhook. So that way it only impacts a subset of consumers, but not all consumers. Does that kind of make sense? So yeah. Google would be hashed into cert, you know, into worker one, Yahoo sure. would be hashed into worker two. When Google gets low, Yahoo doesn't get slow. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah. So that's no, kind of totally. one option. Um, another option in my, my sort of second spooky, spooktacular tip of the day uh, is... <laughs> you were uh, trying way too hard here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. There's a candy segment later. Oh, um, this is amazing. Uh, so you need to make sure that you... Um, uh, when you when when you when you set up the webhook setup for the first time, like and you tell your consumers and you set up, uh, you know that initial worker that you have a pretty strict timeout. 
Um, and so like lots of, for example, lots of HTTP libraries in various languages will time out at 30 seconds or 60 seconds, or Which to be like honest, way not at too all. long for web right. <laughs> so that's going to hold that worker for that amount of time. And that's kind of crazy. So I would pick the, the, the quickest amount of time. Like I would push for five seconds and then settle for 10 seconds as the amount of time before a timeout would happen. Does gotcha. that make sense? Yeah, no, um, totally. And so that's, that's like another thing that you need to do. So let's just assume that you've solved this problem in some fashion. This still doesn't stop you from being impacted, right? Because even if you segment them off to a subset of servers, their own queue, right. you're, you're still processing a lot of workers and a lot of jobs for these webhooks that are never actually going to go anywhere. Right. Um, and so one of the things that you should look into is essentially having your webhook service or in your main application, because we're, we've kind of been talking as though it's just a background job. So we'll just continue using that analogy <laughs> yeah. for now, yeah. um, is that you can essentially say, if there's so many... Uh, timeouts at a time, I would like to flip a circuit breaker locally and just stop trying to send webhooks to that service. And so, so that's to the oh, like a particular a particular endpoint yep, to a particular URL or host. Sure. And so that kind of assumes a couple things, right? That assumes that you you know can do that, that you have something that can do circuit breakering, um, that that would stop the deliveries here. It also mm-hmm. assumes that you have some sort of idea of retrying, because if you don't have any retrying <laughs> idea, like that's probably not yeah, an awesome like, idea. <laughs> we you we tried and failed, so you never get it ever. Is probably right. not a great solution, <laughs> right? And so like there's that, and then I think that at some point though, like. Like, let's just say like DNS resolution is bad. Like at some yep. point you, I, I do think it's reasonable for you to say, you know what? I'm going to stop sending webhooks to you and I'm going to send you an email and just say like, your thing is down, mm-hmm. turn it back on, click this button and we'll start delivering events to you again. But we're not going to like sit here and for a month, try and deliver thousands of events, but none of them ever get through. So we're all of these things. And I don't know if you have this knowledge because I'm not sure when webhooks came into being at GitHub specifically, were things like that in place like at the very beginning or did that kind of grow organically? Like meaning the, you know, sort the email to notify someone that their webhook was cut off or, or, or did it, did and, it take? And I shall be clear that all of these things I am saying are tips and tricks that everyone <laughs> can use and not necessarily things that we have implemented <laughs> on our side. Fair um, enough. But I mean, so I will say that it, it has been pretty organic, but the, the, the thing that is tricky about webhooks is its failure nature is sort of like a blind um, stampeding herd. So like if you've ever heard of like stampeding herd where it's like, okay, you're, you have all these requests and you're sort of like, uh, okay, we can't control them or whatever. Like there's kind of a couple things you can do you can just say like get drop them all whatever yeah. um and so on and so forth but with webhooks it's a little tricky because you're enqueuing all these jobs and your workers like desperately want to process them all and right. so like if something goes wrong it can it can have a pretty quick cascading effect through your system if you don't have the right um you know uh circuit breakers and you know d- fault tolerance etc across your yeah. system and so you know as you hit scale, you experience new parts of this and so on. But like I, some of these are things like I think that everyone could probably and should probably do in their like initial implementation only because the the unique thing about webhooks is like when your web page gets slow or is unavailable, like the humans get that, right? They go, ah, oh, that sucks. I can't believe I can't get to, you know, right, right. Um, spooky, spooky podcast.com or whatever today. Uh, but, but what they can't do is like, or what they're unwilling to do is like, I can't build, you know, K Daigle slash spooky podcast because my CI isn't kicking off. 
Like it's like it's right. totally unacceptable. It's like a whole different ball of wax. Uh, and so I think that I think that that's like the unique nature of when a machine talks to another machine, we assume that to be relatively infallible. And if you're in programming, you know that's not the case like at all. <laughs> but you know, but like you, you, humans like have an okay degree of like. Okay, well, this is slow today, or oh, this is, ugh, this right. is frustrating. But when a webhook fails, it's really bad, generally speaking, because it's it's impacting automation across two systems, yeah. almost always. And so that's why I think it's worth like you know you don't need to go all in and build this perfect system or whatever. But there's lots of different things I think uh, that you know that I've talked about so far at least that you can kind of begin to implement or understand. Okay, I want to at least have an answer to how will my system fail when this host gets slow. And then mm-hmm. when this host gets slow, how many other hosts even are there or could there be, or will there likely be in my system? So that way you know how to sort of deal with it because at some point you might want to do uh, what we did, which is you pull the webhooks out of your application and background jobs into a separate service. So that way when webhooks get slow, your overall job processing doesn't get slow, for example. Um, but you know, I don't think you need to just sort of rush and build this over-architected system from day right. one, um, but you can just sort of answer the questions from that, you know, you've been asking and, and I've been sort of giving some uh, some guidance on um, about what your unique situation is and then just try and make sure you have answers either on paper or in code you know yeah so as a so looking at webhooks from the other side of the coin like from the consumer of webhooks are there things that <clears throat> uh, like an app can do to I guess prepare itself to accept webhooks appropriately <laughs> um so i kind of said this uh yeah in, i mean you kind of covered but or some of it not all of it but i mean like the first thing is definitely don't process them in line now there's downsides to this right so when i say process it in line it means when you get the http post you do whatever your unique thing is that you're that you're Dealing um, with it, yeah, exactly. That your that your site does, um, and so uh, if you do that in line, then if it fails, you just give a five hundred, and a, a, you know a mature webhook system will say, "Oh, okay, no problem. I'll I'll retry it in an hour." You know, um, and so there's that. The the but the downside of going out of line or in a background job is that yeah. you know you you it's like you're acking the the receipt of that uh, webhook, and if you lose it after that, it's your fault. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So and so like it's if if you had an error and it doesn't happen, then you've lost it. And so um, the sort of advice I would have in that is like have some degree of payload, you know, tracking or logging. Like I received this unique webhook event, and maybe the maybe the provider gives you like a GUID or you build a GUID or whatever, and you can just store that and clean that out of your database every once in a while. But at least you have it, and it's not sort of ephemerally sitting in memory, job to job to job. Right. Right. Um, and so like that would be one uh, tip. Uh, I think measuring the three throughput of your um, receipts, you know, is important. So essentially, like, am I getting slow because I'm getting slow? Or am I getting slow because less webhooks are coming in? And if less webhooks are coming in, is that okay? Or is it a sign of a problem? And so a lot of like GitHub integrators use like some degree of a canary where they basically are measuring the in the incoming uh, number of webhooks and, and tracking that over time. And then graphing to say like, is this below the moving average of the last like three days of webhook deliveries? Um, and if oh, it is, man. then I'm going to like send an alert off because it's like pro- GitHub's probably having problems and thus like my customer is going to have problems too. Sure. But like when you do that, it's tricky because obviously like, you know, most businesses, uh, that's, I guess that's not true. In the business that I'm in, right, the weekends are obviously quieter. 
Um, yeah. There's less people working. But if you're like maybe say in e-commerce, like maybe the weekends are busier. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, that's one strategy just to make sure you understand who's sort of at fault um, and, and how you need to react for your customers with webhooks. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, some some services will allow you to say like, I don't want any more webhooks by sending back a special response code. Um, you know, some uh, re- expect you to like uh, have a um, like a token that you that you respond with essentially to be like, yep, that's me. Um, you know, oh, yes, so I like am willing that's sort to of like a webhooks. like an auth, like a security thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a little less of an auth and sort of more like a handshake like it's not like okay. saying like eh, you know i don't because you're basically just saying here it is so that way they know that you're um because right with webhooks it's interesting because you can basically just sign up arbitrary urls to receive these posts <laughs> yeah. right and so like with the token you're basically saying like eh, i want i definitely want this like so don't worry it's okay you can keep sending them to me um and that can be like an, another important part of of each system but um you know the if, if you're just sort of integrating with like another system like say slack or github or whatever mm-hmm. um you know everyone sets up their rules um, but if you're building a system that's one thing that you can look into is you can look at other vendors and say okay well how are they ensuring that like you know, these things should be sent over, like, uh, you know, and, and how are they ensuring, you know, that when I don't want these things anymore, like, will I stop actually receiving them? That's all stuff that, uh, you can Yeah. Do. So how do you handle things like, um, <clears throat> well, is it even possible, I guess, to make changes to like the payload that you would send? So like, as you know, as your app progresses, you may want to adjust what you're sending out in your webhook. Mm-hmm. What does that look like from a, you know, is that just you need to notify the people that are getting webhooks or is there a way to build it so that I guess you're going to, you know, it'll be backwards compatible? Yeah. So, I mean, so generally speaking for for me, like I consider that uh, uh, payload additions are, are fine. Right. I want to add some information to this. So it's like migra- like database migrations, the same kind yep. of rules apply. As long as you're adding as long as you're adding data and not renaming anything or moving it or removing it, then it's just am- you know, uh, uh, amending data. And so it's not really a big deal in my opinion to add that back in. Now yeah. like if you think about webhooks as just in like an outbound API, you know, like as yeah. inbound APIs all have versions. You can do the same exact thing with your um, with your webhooks by just doing an outbound API idea. And so you could mm. have it set up where basically when the webhook is added to the database, it, you know, chooses a version. Like, you know, and that can be the newest version of the webhook API. Um, and then you basically can update that or change that uh, as the client requests it. So that way you can keep a vert, like a version history of, um, of all the, you know, of all the, uh, of the different types of payloads that you want to send out to people, sure. then people can opt in. Um, uh. and, and that's generally like, I, I think the best way to do it. Uh, uh, so that way you're not breaking anyone, you know, cause breaking webhooks again, bad news bears. Yeah. Um, but, but if you were to just say, okay, yep, you're version one, because that's what, that's the version we're at when you created this webhook. Um, you know, that's pretty good. And then if I go, huh, you know what? I want to get in, I want to try again. I'm, I'm going to put a new URL and give this a, give this a shot. And then, Oh, yep. No, my thing works great. So once it's done, I'm going to, you know, um, say, you know, go and edit the the old webhook and, and add that in with yeah. the newer version. Now, is there any value to like, uh, do you guys even have like a, like a playground or like a testing area for any of this stuff? Or is it, I mean, is it basically just, just send your webhook to a staging server and see, you know, see how it works. Um, I mean, you said you can definitely, uh, I mean, you could definitely 
like like do a staging server and i definitely think you should um, yeah but but it's it's it kind of depends you know i mean we, we tend to use a, a variety of tools that like you know store the payload for us and uh sure you know in all of that and so that's uh that's like pretty good um and so yeah i i mean yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not super i'm not super um i'm trying to decide what how i want to say this like we, you know we, we we use a variety of tools to do like the internal testing but it's not like a huge yeah. part of what we're you know doing i guess right no that i mean that totally makes sense as being the webhook kind of pusher <laughs> you yeah. know and not yeah, like yeah. the and not the consumer um wow you know you know a lot about webhooks kyle see and listen before we started <laughs> what did you say you were like you better know enough and i'm like hit me my man i will i know too much yeah. Uh, I can't, there's, I don't know that there's anything that I can think of to ask other than what you already covered. Is that all there is to know about web? It is everything <laughs> you need to know. This, this has been the canonical. So, okay. So what was, what's the candy section? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Halloween is, uh, today by the time this is posted. Uh, and, um, <laughs> Uh, I buy uh, a good majority of my Halloween candy on Amazon. Are you? Oh, really? Yeah, and I and I and I price check it because <laughs> I feel like that's like the <laughs> with one the thing. local with like with, the local store. Yeah, with like a local Target. Is it a better deal? No, um, <laughs> it's like, but it's not an egregious. I mean, bad better. Deal. It's not a bet. It's maybe not financially better, but I it's did not a lot need more to convenient. leave my house. So <laughs> that is a benefit. So are you are you gonna take your kids trick or treating? Uh, yes, we're going. What are the costumes? Um, uh, Cooper, my uh, uh, three and a half year old, is going to be Batman. Oh boy! Uh, and Max, my four month old, is going to be Robin. This is what That's Cooper wanted. Amazing! Oh yeah, well, our oldest, uh, Avery, our daughter, she uh, voluntold all of our costumes. So I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's great picture, right? It's so a she, pretty great photo. <laughs> so she's Moana, uh, the, and uh, her little sister is the pig, P- Pua. 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 Uh, mom is Tafiti, who is a giant green island. Uh, you know, so she got a little creative with that costume. And then I of course had to be Maui, which was a bit of a stretch, (laughs) but as you can (laughs) see by my, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm wondering, can you post photos on the, uh, on the, on the podcast page? Just tweet it and we'll make sure that. Oh yes. It'll it'll just be my face. I'm not going (laughs) to, it'll be, it's, I mean, it's pretty good. All right. Um, hey, go, well, happy go, Halloween. Go build yourself a webhook and then really enjoy the say, spookiness. Yeah, I'm very scared now knowing all of this. See? Don't do it. It's Follow really tip weird. number one and just stick to <laughs> don't, email. Don't use webhooks. Integrate with, integrate with <laughs> Twilio and send faxes instead. Oh, my word. Actually, right. yeah, there are some like like snail mail APIs yeah, and see? stuff. Huh? I would just do that. Then, then uh, you're just passing the problem on to someone else. <laughs> some data processor i love it hey thanks for uh thanks for the tips and the and, and the tricks no problem go 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 webhook yourself <laughs>